0: I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ben.
1: Hey, I got an idea for a topic.
0: But isn't... hang on. I'm the one who says, hey, Ben, first. But This is is
1: confusing me. We're flipping the script today.
0: All right. All right. And I don't even know what this topic is. What's the topic?
1: It's a really general topic. I want to talk about video games.
0: What's not to like about video games?
1: I know. This is the thing. So I want to talk about the games that we play. I want to talk about how these games are made. I want to talk about the evolution of video games from, like, the days when, like, one person could build a video game to now where it's like a, you know multi-million dollar movie production type thing. There are still and how games that one person produces. Yes. Yeah, and so how it's sort of been reborn in other yeah. forms, you know, like Steam and mobile games and all these other things that sort of, like, have recreated that world where it's like one person can make a game. So I want to talk about all of those things.
0: I love this topic. Let's do it. So
1: where do you want to start?
0: Well, what what, what even are a video game?
1: What even are a video game? Well, that's, yeah, what is... What, is well, what the are we talking
0: about? Are we going to talk about like console-based stuff? Are we going to talk about you know handheld? Are we going to talk about all, all the above? Or what are you thinking specifically? Are you I thinking- think it's
1: the whole world? It's the whole world of video games. So here's here's uh, okay. So let's talk about i que- I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Because you just made an assertion that says an individual person can make a video game, right? And that's true. Can an individual person make a console game? Is that a reasonable thing to expect that anyone could do?
0: I think so still. I mean, the example that immediately springs to mind is Stardew Valley, which is on Steam and Mm -hmm. is on consoles and is on all the things, as far as I can tell. And my understanding is that one person, Concerned Ape, made that game as a kind of like, I just wanted to make a game and then eventually he was like hey this game's pretty good his girlfriend's like what are you doing and I'm like oh i'm just you know enjoying doing some coding it's like oh but i made a video game and he and as far as i'm aware and now this is where this is huge speculation he did the art and the sound and the, the game and, and everything and then put it together and i think so you can do that but i also don't know if it was a success on steam first and then he got like the dev kits and things that would allow you to port it to that or whatever so i don't know if someone could sit yeah. down and make a video game on a console without voiding the warranty on the current console <laughs> in the first place and installing yeah. all sorts of open source development tools, because they don't generally let you do that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah. that's a, that's a thing.
1: Whereas well, okay, the accessibility. Is, yeah. Yeah. On. That is still a path though. Right? Like if your dream was to, you know, I want to make an Xbox game, right? Xbox might be a little easier to do this, but um, you could get there by first making a game and publishing it on steam and then building and a market an, for an it. an engine
0: that yeah. is somewhat portable anyway. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what um, Stardew Value is written in, mm-hmm. but in the back of my mind when I'm playing it and it sort of does one of those little glitches where it takes a little while suddenly and you're walking along otherwise smoothly and it's like... Oh! Oh, and then mm-hmm. carries on again. In my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder if this is some kind of garbage-collected runtime thing going <laughs> on. Is this is this mono? Is this, right. you know, running in C Sharp? Yeah, something like that. And is that mm-hmm. why it's been able to be ported reasonably easily? I don't know. I know nothing about it, and I'm sure we could easily Google it. But let's, right. you know, we, well, let's talk more generally about things. But, you know, there are engines that are available. There's the Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. There is the, oh, gosh. Uh, what's Unity? the... the Unity, thank you. Good grief. I was only talking with somebody about it earlier today. There's Unity and a whole bunch of things like that that you can get, and there are commercial licenses, obviously, but there's also, I mean, you sign up for Unreal Engine and they give you access to it, so you can Mm -hmm. just... So it is more accessible than it's ever been to get, like, a world-class engine to to write your game on and then maybe be able to port it from platform to platform more straightforwardly. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how whether that's really an exception, you know, is it, is, is Stardew yeah. Valley by its very nature and from the, 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 the kind of game that you, you could reasonably do this because even like the Pokemons of this world that, you know, have mm-hmm. a similar flavor. It's just a top down thing. It's only a few sprites really. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's millions of permutations and combinations of Pokemon, but they're like, just ignoring that, that. But that kind of genre, top down, scrolly, walk around thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, even two decades ago, that would have been a team of five people
1: yeah you know, maybe yeah. one
0: programmer an artist musician type person who's on part-time mm-hmm. maybe you know so three maybe four for a tools person or whatever so you know you could easily see how it could be a be, um, uh, multi-person game even back then so yeah i don't know i think it's exceptional for an individual to make a fully featured game and i th- but i love the idea that people can yeah you know, my complaint about the games industry when I left it was that it, nobody was taking any risks anymore. Right. All right. of the publishers, it was so expensive to make a video game, and I can't mm-hmm. really blame them. They wanted a surefire hit. So it would be franchise after franchise. It would be movie game. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be another SWAT game. Right. It would be another, you know, a, 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 a um, sequel to an already existing game. But not like a new IP or new new idea or new out there idea. Um, mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. probably when Nintendo came, they've always sort of danced to the tune of their own drum. Mm-hmm. to an extent when they came along with the switch and kind of blew everyone out the order of the world with all these really random weird different games they only mm-hmm. did it because they knew that they could sell mario to people like me <laughs> right, 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 right so as well uh-huh. as your weird wii sports thing it's like i'm going to be buying that no matter what because yeah, it will have the yeah. new zelda game on it and it will have right. the new mario game on it yeah. so there is they're, some they're still using zelda to, to
1: pay the bills and then using that money to do all the cool experimental stuff that they want exactly to yeah exactly right. but
0: the eas of this world uh that are churning out sports game after sports game or whatever uh-huh. and the you know the the other other places that have good fra- franchises there's it's not that much of an incentive to experiment because it's so expensive if you get it wrong mm-hmm. but if you're one person in a bedroom somewhere
1: right and you're investing <laughs> right. your life then sure go go for it so give it give it a try i feel like there's something with that with the sort of desire by by game you know publishers to do Version 2, version 3, version 4. I mean, how many civilizations are there right now? Like 85, 86? Something like that. At right? least 100. Uh-huh. And I love civilization. It's a great game. But it's like, you guys have got a cash cow and you're just milking it, right? Um, but I feel like the, the, the sort of realization of that in the early days was you just make more versions of the game. And the same effect underlies it, but I think the sort of more modern version of that is the like, um, like in-game purchases and cosmetics and DLCs where it's like you, you, when you make a game, if it's, you know, even a remotely decent game, you're going to find some core group of people that really, really, really like it. And, they're going to spend absurd amounts of money on it. They're going to spend just to 10 the color of or 100 times. Yes. Whatever. They're going to spend way more than what your average or your median, really, your yeah. median yeah, yeah. player is going to spend. Right? Yeah. And so you don't like one way to do that is to just release version two, three, four, five of the game and they'll buy it because they're fanatics. But another way to to take advantage of that is to give them things in the existing game, sort of let them, you know, kind of revel in this thing that they love, right? Yeah. Um, To the extent
0: even that some of those games are given away for free. Exactly, right? And all the money comes from the the, the loot chests that you buy or whatever, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the median revenue per player is zero. Yeah. (laughs) And the average is actually quite good, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so it really you know. has changed. I mean, the, yeah. just
0: the, the just the, the the fact that you can have DLCs and the mm-hmm. fact that you can even I mean, patch uh, games after they've come out. I mean, like who hasn't bought a game close to the day of opening, mm-hmm. put it into their console, and it goes, "Wait a second, we've just got two and a half terabytes of, yeah. <laughs> of patches to apply to it before you right. can play." it. And you're sort of explaining to your crying child why they still can't play the game yet.
1: So i I, I had this. <laughs> I actually had this. Yesterday, I had this yesterday with um uh, so uh, I'm a huge Diablo player, I love Diablo. It is a mindless game, it's like mostly mindless. There's like a little bit of like you know planning strategy stuff to it, but it is mostly just a click on things and watch you know pretty pictures and things be destroyed kind of game. And it's like a guilty pleasure of mine, but I've been playing it ever since I was like a teenager, essentially, like in my early 20s. Um, and uh, Diablo 4 is coming out this summer and there is a, a, a beta this weekend, a closed beta so if you pre-order the game you can play it this weekend for a few days and this is, you know, it's, I, I, I actually love the way that they're doing this, so it's sort of like there's the closed beta this weekend if you pre-order it which is clearly the like alright, this is our first world test and then there is an open beta next weekend where you don't even have to have paid for the game, which is clearly their load test Right. <laughs> it's like, we make no guarantees that any of this is going to work. In fact, we might even break some things on purpose just to see how our failover mechanisms work. But I pre-ordered this, and I also got a copy of it for my son because his birthday is next week, and I thought it'd be cool if we could play together this weekend, right? pre order the game. It sends him a gift, like, uh, you know, confirmation link. He clicks the confirmation link. No pointer exception. <laughs> No, <laughs> And he's, like, in a panic. Like, I came home from work yesterday, and he's, like, in a panic of, like, ah, thank you for the game, but I, I can't get it to work. And it's, it's, it's uh what am I going to do? And it's, like, you know, the, the, the beta is, like, this weekend, right? It's, like, yeah, yeah, today, yeah. basically. Like, so it's yeah, sort yeah. of, like, um, like oh, my God, what are we going to do? And it's, like, yep, that is that is how these things are, right? You put the, <laughs> the the disc in there, and it's, like, you know, it wasn't really baked when they shipped this, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't, right. wasn't really done.
0: That's not how it, yeah, which which you know to me is is interesting uh the amount of effort that we used to put into our discs and the the care and the mm-hmm. the terror actually right, yeah. of being there with the the guy in the motorbike leathers uh from the the shipping from from the the courier company is mm-hmm. standing in reception looking at his watch and you are around the 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 12 disc cd burner <laughs> <laughs> Telling people not to jump around because these things were so sensitive to vibration while the last oh 12 of the gold masters were being made and then writing on them really carefully, not getting your fingers on them and then handing them to this person going like, I hope to heaven that's good mm-hmm. because that's it now. There's no yep. comeback from here.
1: Right, right. And if yep. I, I don't
0: know if I've ever told the story, but uh, twice games that I, not that I worked on, but friends of mine at the same company have worked on have had um, there's the kind of terrifying glitches that happen that only when you like finally build the disc, ship it, and then people put it into their un- non-developer consoles and run it for the first time, mm-hmm. and the uninitialized variables come to light, shall we say, in oh, the in yeah, the hardware wow. yeah. but variables that were initialized by the debug console that pops up and says, you know, welcome to Sega Saturn. This is you know right. a 32x. Here's a memory you've got, and you can do whatever. Um, but they aren't initialized from a cold start on a machine that doesn't have that operating system like ROM in it. It just boots the disk, and then you get um, like a a dinosaur with his head inside out that looks terrifying to children, um, (laughs) because you can see all his teeth and eyeballs in the inside of his head. So, um, yeah. So, (laughs) you don't get that so much anymore, but you get null pointer
1: exception. You get null pointer exception, right, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Okay, I, I have another question. Here's a more of a hypothetical scenario for discussion. Let's say you and I were going to found a game company. And let's say that we were going to found this company with a few other people. And but we needed to come up with some way to sort of coalesce all of our ideas about games into a cohesive vision for this group. Like, What kind of games do we want to make? How do we even establish a common language about games and make sure that if we're talking to each other about our ideas that that those ideas make sense to the other people that are hearing them here's my here's my thought experiment on how you do this everyone in the group picks a game and every other person in the group plays the game that everyone else picked so if there's five people we're going to all play five games and the intent of what the game that you pick is to represent sort of the The platonic ideal of the game that you want to make, right? It's like, I would love to make a game like this. Yeah. What game do you pick?
0: Oh, man. So the nearest thing to the kind of vision that I have. Oh, you see, uh, can I pick two? (laughs) No, I'm not allowed to pick two. Because what I would love to make is kind of a hybrid between two games and I'd love to sort of, so let let me explain to you my knee-jerk reaction about the game that is modern and would most clearly represent the aesthetic and the the, the vibe that I would want out of a game and in fact the mechanics to some extent and and just everything and that would be Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild, Mm -hmm. right? It's just an, an accomplished, beautiful, beautiful game. It's staggering how amazing the graphics are given that it's running on just a switch that is, you know, pretty pedestrian, even when it was first made. You know, Nintendo mm-hmm. have never made any bones about putting the most whiz-bang features in their rendering system, or, you know, they, they make money on their consoles, which nobody else does, right? Everyone else mm-hmm. sells their consoles at a loss so that they can get them in your house right, and they make right. money on the games. Nintendo just make money on everything they do with you, and mugs like me that will buy every incarnation of every Mario, Zelda, right. and everything game, yes. even though yeah. I've already got it, right? But yeah. anyway... Um, so the aesthetic of that the way that it the, the the pacing of it and everything is beautiful and I love it and the fact that it's open world mm-hmm. um that is what I l- like I like the idea of there is a plot if I want it mm-hmm. and if there's not I can happily wander around and just hit trees and stare at the things that the the, the beautiful sunsets that happen and and just hang out in a game that's just like, I'd like to live here if it wasn't for the nasty monsters, right? You know, <laughs> but <laughs> right. I can avoid uh, them largely. It feels- yeah. So that is my kind of game. I'm I'm much more of a casual gamer than I ever used to be. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of a game that you can pick up and put down and... Give or take, you know, a big screen that can show you. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can pretty much go. I don't. I don't care. I'm gonna. What's that over there? Oh, I, hang on a second. Those three things look like ah. And then find a coroc or whatever. You know that kind of thing. So that's mm-hmm. that's my ideal. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is the game Exile from the BBC Micro, which was one of the first open world 2D games okay yeah spaceman flying around in like caves looking for stuff and i feel that there is morally a way of taking a sort of metroidy feel um in terms of like space faring Mm -hmm. suited person in a like a hostile environment and marrying it in 3d with um something more open worldy like uh legend of zelda so that's kind of like broadly what i would like to engender upon the team as it
1: were and say mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. something that comes that draws from a from the palette of these things is right. what i want
1: right right what would you do then uh, what would be your choice well or choices
0: so, now as i've had to yeah you can have to. yeah no
1: i, I think I, yeah i mean so i i have thought about this a little bit and i think for me it's XCOM. i i nice. really liked the XCOM world uh you know aliens and and, you know, sort of proto-military and all of these other things, and I actually, like, it's not even, like, one of the XCOM games, it's the whole franchise, right? The whole progression from you know, you're starting out where it's like, oh no, this is the US government and there's these tiny little alien invasions all the way into the modern incarnation, which is, aliens have taken over the world and now you're basically fighting a guerrilla war, right? And everything in between there, and that the whole world, I think, is just really kind of interesting and immersive and it just sort of locks you in and i really like tactical games in general mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i like the sort of like both the optim like the squad optimization that you do where you're sort of like you know maximizing resources and building up the doing research and building the best you know equipment that you can get and all the things and then the actual like tactics of of the combat right where you're right. like you know trying to move and you know do things efficiently because that's there.
0: sort of isometric well at least it was in my day isometric yeah. turn-based you know move your squad around here and then you kind of click 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 click, and then you go yeah, and go yeah. and then everyone moves and then you kind of the screen scrolls around and you sort of you get these hints of aliens running across the your your, your field of mm-hmm. vision you know like, oh my gosh oh i didn't realize there was one hiding behind the bin or whatever yeah that kind exactly. of thing yeah
1: exactly and part of this is because i'm a huge like D player right. and i like D, right. and and those mechanics are literally like I mean, the slightly different rule set, of course, but it's like those tactical combat mechanics are exactly what you're doing when you're rolling D20s in, in Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, you know, you've you're got however many actions per turn and you sort of can do these different things and you have different equipment that you use. And so XCOM for me sort of blends together, you know, all of those different elements into something that has a, like a very cohesive world. And tells, like, just a a great story. Like, the story really sort of pulls you in. Right. Part of the thing. Um, and I think that is that is probably what it
0: is. And it's, it's the nearest thing to a board game. <laughs>
1: you can play on a computer as well, it is, right? Yeah, it's like turn-based yeah. as it is, you know? Right, and, yes. Uh, it's a game that you can play with a baby resting on your shoulder, which I certainly did uh, when my kids were, were were young. It's sort of like it's turn-based, so you can just walk away at any time, you know?
0: Yeah, you don't have to be twitch. Yeah, um, yeah you don't
1: have to be twitchy. You don't have to have the fastest reflexes in the world. You just have to sort of sit.
0: Don't even way. have to have two hands uh, right. for a little bit. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. exactly. So yeah, so that would probably be mine. But I feel like if you if you did this, it would be a way for people to sort of like um start out with their with their preconceptions just laid out on the table. Right. right. Like because if you no, brought I a like bunch it. of people together like this, it'd be like everyone is there for if they've got that thing in their head of, Oh, wouldn't it be great if I did this? And they're all gonna be different, right?
0: Yeah. Of and course. then you sort
1: of get all that out, you get it out on the table and be like, all right, this is my perfect game. This is my perfect game, this is my perfect game, and you're gonna see all the differences. And then hopefully you like start to triangulate a little bit. You sort of find like Say, a well, middle point, this, yeah. or you be like, "Look, I don't want to make like the Homer car here and make a game that is just a mix of all these five things because that's <laughs> going to be terrible." <laughs> but I really like your idea, so I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. give up my dream a little bit because I like your dream too, and we're gonna right. just go
0: in that direction because I think that's better. Right? No, it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. Um, definitely, uh, if if the games industry wasn't quite so Miserable, <laughs> right? Yeah, the only problem it is, is we
1: would actually have to make and publish a video game, which sounds which is, terrible.
0: Yeah, sounds awful, right? But well, maybe when right. we we all we'll retire from our day jobs, we we can yeah we yeah, can sit yeah. down and have like cozy afternoon coffee chats where we we hypothetically come up with stuff before it becomes uh, too difficult. We have to get like a team of fifty people to do the artwork for it and all that kind right. of stuff, which is of course the problem, right? You know, it's like a, a modern yeah. any modern game again stardew valley and similar things and the little indie shops notwithstanding mm-hmm. requires a huge amount of effort um and 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 oh here's an example actually another one that, that again theoretically would be straightforward so one of my favorite games growing up was a game called wonder boy 3 the dragon's trap mm-hmm. which was a sega master system which never really made it over in the in the states again but it was a sort of contemporary of the nes the original 8-bit and it was sega's equivalent of that and if you've known the wonder boy games if you've ever seen them like the coin Up game it's just a sideways scroller jumpy thing and it's it's all twitch based and you're kind of like getting on a skateboard over wonder boy 3 was not like that it was like an rpg but sideways scrolling so uh in in a way a little bit more like the second legend of zelda which went for a sideways scrolling uh rpg it was it was much more like that so um, and you know it was still platformy in in feel, but uh, it was a great game. I really enjoyed it, and it's one of the reasons why I ended up writing an emulator for the Master System, so that I could play it and complete it again on my uh, on my Archimedes. And then it's why I wrote another version of the emulator, so I could play it and complete it in my web browser. So I've played, I completed right. it three times: one on the original, and then two on two emulators I wrote myself.
1: Okay, well, I love, well, the reason I... And I love that. By complete it, you mean make an emulator for it and then complete the and then complete it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: that's
1: there's no way to that's complete an achievement the game. That most people don't get in the uh, video game achievements world. I'm gonna tell you right <laughs> that's now. That's
0: right. Yeah, that achievement unlock is like, yeah, you beat it again. <laughs> um, but I've beaten it a fourth time now because a a professional remake by Lizard Cube, uh, a relatively small company, uh, was made of it and. The really cool thing about it is that they kept the original uh, emulator, effectively, running the original game, which they had to modify quite heavily to make it work. But you, at any time you could tap a button and the game would flick back into retro graphics and you could see, oh, oh my gosh, this is how it used to be. But the be- the graphics were absolutely beautiful. They had artists doing these wonderful cartoon style animations that were gorgeous. And then they had a full, I'm still, I've had the music stuck in my head ever since, but I even like <laughs> today I was humming it um they did redid all of the music with a full like orchestra it was uh, a full orchestra a small orchestra of you know a half dozen and so you're thinking like even something where you had effectively the code (laughs) to start with and the artwork to start with took a small team of people to make it as polished and beautiful as it is but it's still possible it's still plausible right so maybe a group of us the problem is anyone we know doesn't know how to draw. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> or maybe some people can do music. Uh, um.
1: Yeah. I have I have a kid that knows how to draw. But that's well. That's, that's helpful. Thing. That's a whole yeah, other thing. thing. But um, it's tr- it's a it's a yeah. it's a
0: it's a real skill to be able to generate the assets for right video games yeah. and the way that they're put together and the way that yeah. um you know economies of scale have to be done and like right. oh this is how we conform everyone does the same th- thing the same way and then our right. textures will map up at the edges match up at the edges this is the one and only skeleton of the human like character and it's got basically the superset of every kind of animatable part of of a mannequin you might ever want and then we animate things in terms of that and then you can attach any of your T um models to this and then they will animate in the same way so we don't have to like animate every single monster individually or whatever for 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 the base start point so there's a ton of stuff like that and i mean obviously it's been in two decades really since i've been fully involved in this kind of stuff but uh i wonder how much is uh we would have to relearn ourselves i tell you
1: we have great tests (laughs) (laughs) you know that so that is actually an area, because we talked about this before. Our testing is a skill. Learning how to test in different languages has different skills. Learning how to test different aspects of different programs in different languages is different skills. Testing a uh, you know a a web app in Python is different than testing like a data processing pipeline in Python is different than, you know, all of these things. I've never had the opportunity to try to take my testing skills and apply them to video games. I did a little bit that's sort of adjacent to it when, like, my first, you know, few years out of school, the company that I worked for did a lot of data visualization. Most of that was 2D, and I think I maybe even told you once about the thing that I built that did the sort of um, vectorization of rasterized uh, yeah. 2D graphics as a way to test them, right? And that was more yeah. of an integration-style test, but it was like... But it's a test as It was a test, yeah? right? Like, yeah. We're just going to take these 2D graphics and re-vectorize them and then compare them to the original vectors with some epsilon and make sure that they're correct, right? Yeah. Um, But, like, outside of that, I've never really had a chance to flex those muscles.
0: So maybe no. Be an interesting I, so, so I can't... You weren't in my
1: presentation at work on Thursday, were you? I know. I never see them because I have the lunch on Thursday.
0: I'm I know, like, but, shit. like, literally... I was talking about my experiences developing SWAT uh, Global Strike Team, which mm-hmm. I one of the slides is it started out as an XCOM-like game, funnily enough. <laughs> right there you go, called Cleaners with a K.
1: Oh yeah, you t- you remember? Yeah, I see, I think right, you've yes. seen
0: this, you've seen the presentation before, uh-huh, but it, I just yes. wondered if this was brought top of mind to you because of that presentation. But one of the slides that I, that, that was just reminded, I was just reminded of, is the The line count, so I still have a, a some amount of the code around, and I was able to like do some pr- primitive statistics on it. Like 130,000 lines of code, um, if I remember right, yeah. uh, and a few thousand lines of um, I think it was 200 lines of x86 assembly, about 6,000 lines of shaders, which was the Xbox, uh, seven thousand lines of, of PlayStation Two assembly code, which is to say far too much. Uh, but it was a miserable processor. So anyway, um and then the bottom, the funny thing was what and thirteen hundred lines of tests. Like the whole thing <laughs> is like you know, one percent And yeah. I think I know that all those tests were for the math library, which, yeah, yeah. which was like, well this is foundational and frankly it's easy to test yeah, and more test. importantly we could test it on the x86 host because there was not there wasn't too much that was mm-hmm. special case at least for the sort of general and then obviously you start doing like the intrinsics to say oh, all right we're going to use this crazy multiply that's only on this process or whatever but then that was essentially untested because there wasn't an easy way back then to get the feedback from mm-hmm. the console, as it would have to be back to the uh the the, the like ci system not that we had a CI system. My kidding, um, but it would be really interesting to see whether the the world has moved on. I sh- sincerely hope it has, but if it hasn't, to see your take on it would be fascinating.
1: I, I would be I would be very interested in doing something like that. I feel like the 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 sort of meta answer there is as long as you go into it with the philosophy of like we are going to have we are going to have a way to validate all these things that we want to be confident that our system does. We're not gonna. We're gonna use unit tests where we can. but We're yeah. gonna expand our mind beyond that and 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 look at the gro- the broader goal, which is just be confident that it works. Yeah. How do yeah, you yeah. create intersubjective confidence that it works? How do you create confidence that I can create and you can share? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't you don't have to read through every line of my code to be confident that it works. You can look at the test. You can look at the the tool that I use or whatever whatever it is. Is you can share in the confidence that I created.
0: Right? That it's going to work, yeah. Yeah,
1: and so if you think of it in those broader terms, I'm sure that you could find a way to get there. And right. It might not look like a suite of unit tests or a complete suite, anyway, but it would be something. And I think
0: more so, more to the point, nowadays a lot more of the code would be written in a language or languages that have decent implementations on multiple yeah, machines. So yeah. you and you're testing right. the logic at that point, right? Which actually, this is a complete non sequitur, and this is going to be the weirdest episode ever. (laughs) But I was discussing with some hardware folks last night. We were in the pub, and I was chatting with them and uh, was talking about people who do ASIC design Mm -hmm. and make ASICs for a living, right? So this is actual silicon chips that get made. And they were saying how um, even if they are making a new chip using old code so like mm-hmm. you know maybe they've got the the process has changed it's no longer a 130 nanometer process they said hey we're going to try we're going to target an 80 nanometer process and so there's a different tooling from the the vendor that that makes the fab sort the, of the fab or whatever um but effectively we're going to keep the same code right mm-hmm. it's just the same chip but we can shrink it down and reduce the power because of the process and they said we just don't want to touch the code at all and i was like but Surely you want to like fix things, tweak it around. Like, no, no, we, 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 we look at it and we go, this code has been, has passed the test and then it's an exhaustive right. set of tests. You can imagine, right. this is, you're going to spend millions of dollars to uh, to make the masks and stuff. It's like a hundred thousand dollars per layer of a mask, which is like mm-hmm. insane. So they, they want to not touch the, the, um, uh, the, the, the code because obviously humans write the code and humans are fallible. The argument I said to them is like, well, but the thing is that code is not really representative of what actually goes onto the silicon, right? You yeah. take that and then you um, turn it into a cell library of little off-the-shelf Lego bricks that are then put together by a computer program that puts them together in theory in, in the same... So it has the same logical output of the code that you created. That's then placed and rooted onto a silicon wafer and then... Um, you build up these mask layers and then at some point you actually have to run all this kind of like physics-based simulations of has this particular layout got pathological capacitance problems, um, crosstalk? Um, Do you have to worry about, you know, cosmic rays hitting this particular mm-hmm. bit and knocking things out seriously, mm-hmm. right, at the lower yeah, end yeah, of this stuff, right? How do you build in that resilience? You are like, so... Why is it that you don't, you know, that bit's fine, apparently, <laughs> you know, all those eight layers of other things where people are like, um, fitting and placing and routing. Is it because that's mostly automated, although he was describing to me that it, some of it is not, um, but, you know, I would imagine that like, if, if, if you've got like seven things, all of which can go horribly wrong because of, uh, uh, things that are, are, are don't work, um, uh-huh. Adding one more and actually add, changing the functionality seems like that's the easy. That's an easy bit because I can reason about that. And what it made me think was is that like it, it's easy to test that part easier because at that point you're running a simulation that is like almost like um um like having the this compiling the C code in my case for for my target for my host computer and saying well okay I can test the functionality of my math library because I can build it for x86 and I can run math test.exe on my computer which is essentially what we were doing um but if i had to target it with a different compiler and a different architecture and then squirt it down a cable to a different computer and run it on that different computer i'm like how many other things p- potentials are there for things right, to go wrong right, in that right. so i don't yeah. understand why that was like well why the the, the tests were you know it just feels like it feels like a similar thing it's not like you test what you can mm-hmm. but sometimes um I mean, I'm guilty of this. You know, you test the things that are easy to test, and yeah, then you kind yeah. of go, "Oh, but this bit's a bit difficult to test, so I'm going to leave it alone." You're like, "Well, that's where the problems are going to be." I mean, first of all, because you're not looking for them, and secondly, right. because it's probably complicated, and that means that it's going to yes. have mistakes. You don't have to test for people test.
1: jumping near the CD burner while you're burning the golden test.
0: <laughs> 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 nice. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. that's It's oh, true, man. That's true. It's hard. It's hard. You gotta. You gotta be real creative when you.
0: And I suppose uh, to, to your to your point, if you go into it with a mindset of not unit tests or integration tests or whatever, right. but like the mindset is whatever we make, I want to have the highest confidence. And as you say, intersubjectively mm-hmm. that this is going to work. And that may mean, and I've seen actually somebody uh, we work with um, tends to put in their PRs, the test plan that they Used when mm-hmm. they were working on uh, a change. So obviously there are unit tests in our code as well. But like you know, you want to kick the tires a bit yourself. And so mm-hmm. this person will go, "This is what I did as well. All the tests pass. I ran this thing and I I, I copied it to a temporary directory and I had like poked around with them a bit and then that mm-hmm. made me. And I'm like, cool, because if I really wanted to, I could follow your instructions, do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the intersubjectivity yes. that we're talking about. The
1: intersubjectivity has to come first. The automation comes later, right? Like, all the unit testing stuff started with people who would just make, like, a little main function and kind of hack some code in there, almost like a REPL, to just be like, oh, I'm going to call this function that I just wrote, or this class that I just wrote, and make sure that it worked. And they're like, oh, well, what if we kept that? And then, oh, what if we just ran that every time? Like, but if you don't start with the, with the sort of intersubjectivity of, like, here are the things that I did to gain confidence that this works as I expected it to, anything beyond that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like, it starts with the intersubjectivity. So yeah, yeah. uh,
0: You you say that. I mean, that was certainly the beginnings of my career. Was certainly not intersubjective. Would be like you ran (laughs) something, you poked around with it yourself, and you went, "Ah, it seems good enough to me." And you,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. put
0: it or whatever, right? And you're done. And then there was no build server to be like. Even the build wasn't intersubjective, right? Right. Which I think you know. I think we've all got behind now. It's like you know, the whole works on my computer. Are like, well, that's not good enough anymore, right? We can't just have Barry's computer in the corner. (laughs) You know, can't ship his
1: computer, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's why that's why Docker was invented. Oh, yes, that's exactly uh, what, yeah, I think we've made that <laughs> point um, But yeah, it, it's like, uh, you know, that, when you don't have that, when you don't have intersubjectivity, what you're forced to rely on is essentially heroism, right? Like, oh, Matt's a fantastic programmer, he would never make a mistake. Did he write this code? Well, then it must be fine. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's like, it's like appeal, it's like the, um, you know, the, the logical fallacy of appeal to authority. Right? Yeah. Like there's there's no way for me to validate that this is right, so I just have to go on faith. I have to
0: trust that this yeah. hero
1: programmer did it right.
0: Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. Well, we've and come a long way from a game studio. I just want to point that out, right? <laughs> we've we've got back onto old old topics. But, you know, yeah, As much we, as
1: I'd love we, to talk about, we did. We did. Games I got, as well. I, got, I got one more. If yeah, we, yeah. 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 Let's we got let's. Time for it. And it's a follow-on yeah, to what we were saying before, yeah. which is talking about like you know sort of this like you know can a single person make a game and it's like ah, you can It's hard but you can have you seen maybe this exists already have you seen a commercially successful for some definition commercially successful open source game because i could imagine a world where you have a small group of of core devs i mean there's no way to do that i don't think there's any way to do this without that that creates an open source game that they then also publish on Steam. So it's sort yeah. of like, you know, you can download this code and compile it yourself and do all these things. I'm betting $20, though. Yeah, that that's you literally won't. $20 on You'll betting just that click you will the will button not. in Steam and install it. If you want to go build it yourself, go nuts, man. But I bet what you're going to do is you're going to crack open Steam and Damn. you're going to click a button. Right? That is
0: fascinating. That is, ri- no, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously the. The shareware games of Doom and id Software, which were not open source, but are now right. publicly source. The source is public. Um, there was some. What the heck was the game called? Uh, there was a game we used to play at university that was had like a Lisp engine in it, and it was like some side scroller thing with some really clever lighting effects. And I'm wondering if that was. I know that was we we built it from source, but I I want to say that it was. No, I don't know if it was published as a as a pay-for game. No, that's really interesting. I don't know of anything off the top of my
1: head, no. Because I have how to imagine, because cool. I even think it's resilient to the idea of like, oh, well, then someone's going to steal my game. It's like, no, they're not going to do that either, right? It's like, if you don't have that core group of devs that know how it all works, I mean, how many times have you seen this, where you're just sort of like, there's this code base that these other people wrote, and I have no idea how it works. And you know what? There's probably like only I mean, ten people on the earth within, that know how it
0: works. Within our industry, which is famously protective of its intellectual property, I used to make the gag. And I would like to for the, any lawyers listening, I never did this. <laughs> <laughs> but when pe- whenever people were, har- uh, were worried about whether or not uh, code or IP was was going to leak leaked out and the effect that it might have, mm-hmm. I said. I am 100% confident I could take the lead programmer of a similar desk from like Jump Trading or whomever,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, HRT, whatever, and and invite them over to our current company and sit them down and walk through the code with a whole day, right? In the office, whiteboarding, everything. And then at the end, present them with a USB thumbstick with the source code on it and wave them goodbye, shake them by the hand. And I'm confident I would set them back five years because (laughs) anything that I gave them is is it's gonna hold them back right it's not that the ip (laughs) is not the code and it's not the approach in very rare cases there are little tricks that you're like oh that's really unobvious okay i see why that might be a thing but mostly the ip is a group of people who have worked on a project for a long time together and there's the expanse of of the development process and the 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 edge of the envelope of expanding of that kind of like the Mm -hmm. the frontier of new new stuff comes from those people who are well versed in the system and understanding where the bodies are buried and understanding what things need to go back and be replaced and all that kind of stuff. None of which you pick up from just being handed even with like the pointers I gave you uh, the source code to it, right? Right, right. And that's actually a problem for open source in general, right? I have this problem with people come and say can I just add this thing to Compiler Explorer and I'm like oh gosh, you're, that means you're going to have to look at the code, which means that, oh gosh, you're going to go, no, I don't want to touch this with a right, ball, right? 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 right.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing, is that if this were actually a problem, open source would be so much more effective, right? Correct. It would be yeah. so much more useful, and people would be able to contribute and all these other things, it doesn't, as you very well know, it doesn't really work that way, right? Yeah. Like you have that sort of core group of people that really understand the system
0: and have taken the time and effort to come in and do it, and of course, exactly, that's a right? Hallelujah for those
1: folks who are listening. Thank right. you, everyone. Yeah. Um, and then you have a then you have this whole satellite of other people that are sort of like tourists, essentially, right? Yeah. Like they come in. They might do one or two things. They add a little bit of value here. Sometimes it's like the, the one thing that really annoys them and they yeah. kind of like dig into it or whatever Sometimes it might be. Thoughtful
0: project maintainers have like tagged issues as like good early first option and they've yeah, put enough yeah. information to help people in. And then that's kind of like, you know, the sort of the drug dealer or thing of like, come right. in, make a change. Oh, look at the rush of endorphins you've got for fixing a typo <laughs> yes, in this readme. How about this one? Oh, uh-huh. and then before you know it, you're like knee deep in converting right,
1: things to TypeScript. Right. The, the uh, hero's <laughs> journey backlog, right? Yeah, right, just, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I, I actually, I mean, this is why I think it's like, you could make a game like this and yeah, is someone's going to steal you? is someone going to fork your code? Well, they're definitely going to do that. Are they going to like steal your idea? No. The hard part there is probably getting the steam thing set up. Yeah. And it's like, and honestly, if someone does take it and understand it and makes a whole new game out of it, like, does that really hurt you? It doesn't really yeah, hurt Yeah, it's an you. interesting
0: one. Right? It's a really interesting, um, observation. I mean, assets are a different
1: Thing. Yeah, that's, that's another one that's that you have to think, think
0: a little bit about. Like, there isn't really an open source asset system that I'm aware of that you, is you like hackable. License but
1: the assets and the codes
0: separately. That's, I think, probably the. I mean, ultimately, that that path leads to stuff like the Unreal Engine, like yeah, um, yeah. whatever, where you're like, hey, this is a game engine that makes games of this type, and there's uh, some like basic sprites or whatever, basic 3D models or whatever, to just so that you can type, make, and move your little creature around or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, right. we used it to make this other game. And it's, yeah. like, you know, that's, like, people have been doing that for a while, but open sourcing the whole thing, I don't know if people have done. Um, yeah. I mean, I
1: guess there's things like FreeSiv. That's a thing. Okay, But, like, I don't think it's, I don't think they sell it. I think it, it is, the, the, the model is literally, like, you download it pilot or maybe you just i
0: mean don't. obviously there are a load pilot, of games that it. have like a plugin architecture that obviously yeah. publish enough or right. people reverse engineer enough to be able to add plugins and modding
1: so yeah it's i mean yeah i feel like people went crazy with that with like starcraft like there's so many different starcraft mods and like different things there it's like you. Made, but i don't you made know, know that they published anything there
0: uh, that was more like people revving it, whereas, like, Minecraft, as I call... Well, maybe Minecraft being Java was a bit easier to, like, pull bits out, at yeah. least in the beginning. Awesome. I don't... I don't know. No, what an interesting idea, though. What a fascinating idea, a completely open-source...
1: Yeah. But, like, a con- Open-source, but commercial. But and commercial. And you just, you know, you take the money that you get from selling the game, and you use it to pay for the time of the core devs, so they can... It- you know kind of have day jobs but also sort of you know
0: i was gonna say it sounds like a perfect retirement job for us all right you know as we get on in years give us another give us another 10 years we might be able to do that but (laughs) i don't know what on earth gaming will look like in 10 years time and whether or not there's any any hope for us then it'll be vr yeah
1: yeah or something
0: or ar maybe oh ar or it'll be written by gpt4 or five or six (laughs) whatever's around by then Uh yes totally Cool. Well, what an interesting question. And we've managed to explore some familiar territory along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talked about ASICs. We talked about testing. Mm -hmm. We talked about games and our favorite sort of games. Uh Uh-huh. And, and, uh, uh, and then open sourcing a game. So, I mean, the next, everyone's going to expect the next podcast episode to announce our <laughs> quitting our day jobs to make some turn based studio. Yes. Turn based open world. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, um, Man in a spacesuit <laughs>
1: uh-huh. game. Yeah. El- Elza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool. Well,
0: I guess, uh, I guess we should call it at
1: that. That sounds like a that's not a good way to end it. You've been listening to
0: Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godbolt. Find the show transcript and notes at www.twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Mastodon. We are at twoscompliment at hackyderm.io. Our theme music is by Inverse Phase. Find out more at inversephase.com.